The information discussed on this show is not intended or implied to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. All content is for general informational purposes only. It's Guy's Guy Radio. Here's your host, Robert Manny. Welcome to Guy's Guy's Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny, welcoming you to the show where men and women can be at their best and everyone wins, Guy's Guy's Radio. We're here to inform you, inspire you, empower you, and get you to think and feel, and who knows, maybe even act by virtue of the journeys, stories, experiences, and insights from the guests I bring you each and every week to the show. And this week is no exception. I've got a terrific guest. He's a return guest to Guys Guys Radio. His name is Dean Slider. He wrote a seminal book about meditation because he truly is a dean of meditation. He's been doing it and teaching it for over 30 years. His seminal book is called Natural Meditation, A Guide to Effortless Meditative Practice. But today we're going to talk about a new book he's recently completed, and it's just going to drop in early April, actually, The Dharma Bum's Guide to Western Literature. It's all about taking kind of a deeper dive for more meaning into a lot of the famous uh, writers' works, everyone from Hemingway, F. Scott Fitzgerald, folks like Frederick Douglass, and even Dr. Seuss. It's really an informative, amazing, fun book, And I think you're really going to enjoy that. So we'll get into that with him as well as we're going to spend some time talking about meditation. So what else is happening out there? Well, we're at that point where we have lots of different stuff going on for springtime. Things are blooming in many ways. And if you're a sports fan, you couldn't be more delighted because you've got the NFL free agency. It's never been a wilder free agency season. You've got quarterbacks moving teams. You've got star players moving teams. It's never been like this in the past, so it's a lot of fun. You've got the March Madness. We're right in the swing of that. We're getting down to the Final Four weekend. You've got Major League Baseball has an agreement, and spring training is in full swing. No pun intended, and the season's going to start in early April. So everybody's delighted, and then you've got the NBA, the playoffs are coming, and everybody's psyched about that too. So you've got four different sports in full swing right now, plus all the other sports that are going out there on out there. There's the you know, World Cup trials, there's the tennis, there's boxing, there's MMA, all kinds of stuff. So if you're a sports fan, you can't find a better time of year than right now until we get into the fall where you have all the completions of a lot of the seasons, baseball is ending, basketball and football are starting and it always seems like a special time in the fall but right now is a great time also and it's springtime now one of the issues that's come up though you know that on guys guys radio i don't get into politics because you can hear there's so much divisiveness and you can and it gets personal so you can listen to those arguments elsewhere and i don't get into the whole pandemic and a lot of the arguments about that because there's a lot of finger pointing with that also But I will say this, I want to bring up one issue because it pertains to my old hometown, my dearest New York City, because right now it's just getting to baseball season and apparently some of the big stars have not gotten their jabs, if you will, and some of the uh, basketball players have not been able to play at home. So the new mayor thought it was a good idea to have a different set of rules, an exemption for athletes and entertainers. 
Now, at the same time, you have teachers and firefighters and police and transit police and frontline workers and hospital workers and laymen, just lay people who, in regular jobs who still have a separate set of rules. And I ask myself, what is happening now? Is this fair? Ask yourself this. Should athletes and entertainers have a different set of rules than the rest of us? Regardless of where you fall on your opinions about everything that has to do with the pandemic, when it comes to individual rights in terms of who gets a pass and who doesn't, I know there's religious exemptions at times and there's personal belief and some medical stuff, but this is just athletes and entertainers, okay, you're off the hook. Ask yourself this, does that seem like it's fair Something to think about. So, guys, guys, radio, we're here. Once again, my special guest is Dean Slider. We're going to talk about his new book, The Dharma Bum's Guide to Western Literature. And we're also going to talk about meditation because it's a practice that's close to my heart. I've been doing it, geez, I've been doing it every day for the past 18 months, and I had done it sporadically before that, and it's really been life-changing. So we'll get into some of the practices and tips from Dean. So let's get to it right now because we've got a big show ahead. It's Guy's Guy Radio. Guy's Guy's Radio, my interview portion of the show with a special guest that I have each and every week. And this time I have a return guest. He's a great guy. His name is Dean Slider. He's taught natural meditation throughout the U.S. since 1970. He's author of several books, including Cinema Nirvana, The Zen Commandments, and Natural Meditation, a Guide to Effortless Meditative Practice. We're going to talk about his new book today called The Dharma Bum's Guide to Western Literature. And it's a fun book, and it's very insightful also. But let me tell you a little bit more about Dean. He's led retreats and workshops around the country. He's been featured in the New York Times, USA Today, New York Magazine. They've called his writing joyously entertaining. Dean's from both New York and LA. He dropped out of college. He hitchhiked around the country. Who hitchhikes anymore, right? And embarked on a path of spiritual investigation, eventually returning to teach English and classroom meditation at a private school in New Jersey. And he also worked as a volunteer chaplain at Northern State Prison in Newark, New Jersey. And he moved to California and where he writes, narrates audiobooks and teaches natural meditation. And he's just done it all. For over 40 years, Dean has been a grateful student of eminent teachers in several traditions, and he conveys authentic teachings in practical, accessible, label-free forms. He's been on Guys Guys Radio before. We're going to talk about two books today, his book on meditation and meditation itself. And we're also going to talk about the Dharma Bum's Guide to Western Literature. Let me just ask you a question. What if Macbeth, Moby Dick, The Great Gatsby, Frederick Douglass's slave narrative, Emily Dickinson's poetry, and the cat in the hat. What if they turned out to be doors to our own awakening? Well, Dean's going to tell us all about that now. So welcome back to Guys Guys Radio. Dean Slider. How are you, Dean? I'm great, Robert. It's really great to be back. So this is a really interesting book, The Dharma's Guide to the Dharma Bum's Guide to Modern Literature. I have kind of a pre-copy, and it's a it's a fun romp with about 22 chapters taking on different Noted, most of them are authors, literary giants from the past century or so. Not all, but most of them. And we get into some of the insights into the work through Dean's lens. 
and how they really have more meaning than we might have seen initially on the surface or even when we delved into them in school. So, Dean, what was your inspiration to write this wonderful book? Well, first, thanks so much for having me here, Robert. Um, the, the inspiration really came from two things, the two passions of my life. Uh, one is Dharma, awakening, enlightenment. Uh, I sort of stumbled onto that path. I talk about this in the introduction to the book. At the age of 12, uh, my first sort of spiritual opening experience was triggered by glancing at the cover of Mad Magazine, uh, as a matter of fact. So my, my first guru was Alfred E. Newman. I was, <laughs> was in, I was, I, my mom had sent me out to the garage to, to clear away all the comic books and toys from the back seat, because uh, we were gonna go to a, a drive-in movie uh, you may remember drive-in movies. I do. <laughs> All right. And um, and my mind, even at the age of 12, was always going. Rrr, 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 rrr. The next thing I do, I pick up this mad magazine, and there's grinning Alfred E. Newman and his slogan, what? Me worry? And all of a sudden, I swear to God, my mind goes, bang. It just <laughs> stops. And I realize, oh, this blah, blah, blah I've been doing is called worry. And I've been doing it. I've, it, I've had my foot on the pedal. There's where the pedal is. I can take my foot off that pedal. And I did that. And it was like the top of my head opened up and merged with the sky. I was like floating in bliss all that night. And, um, you know, that got my attention. <laughs> so I, I wound up a few years later, um, you know, studying with with rishis and lamas and 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 becoming a meditation teacher. So that was the one thing. The other thing was I always loved words. I loved books. Um, I had this incredible tenth grade English teacher who changed my life. I said, "Oh yeah, that's what I want to do. I want to be like this guy." Um, and then the two things started cross pollinating, especially when I spent these 33 years teaching literature at this fancy prep school in New Jersey, you teach Macbeth for 33 years, you teach Huckleberry Finn for 33 years, you start to see where the bodies are buried and the bodies that I kept seeing were, were Dharma. Oh, geez. When, when, um, when Gatsby is, we first see Gatsby standing on the lawn under the stars with his arms stretched out, gazing out across Long Island Sound at the green light at the end of Daisy's dock, yearning for Daisy. That's that same yearning that we all have. We know there's that something unattainable, that something that once I get it, it's gonna be, ah, everything's fine at last, AKA Nirvana. So that's the, the subtitle of the book, Finding Nirvana in the Classics. So it's interesting because you've taught literature and there's so much symbolism like Moby Dick with the white whale and some other stories that you touch on here. But then you did a deeper dive, another layer under, which was kind of a weaving together, maybe intentional or unintentional spiritual underpinnings and uh, Buddhism to a lot of these pieces of literature and these authors. And it's really fascinating how you managed to do that because you had to take that extra step and not only breaking down the books, but the breaking down the known symbolism, if you will, and then going right. another layer to find the subconscious symbolism there. So you did a, an amazing job, and I'm sure it was a lot of work. So 
How did you go about deciding who was going to be included in the book? Uh, let me just read off for our uh, our listeners and our audience some of the amazing talents that you cover here. You've got uh, Fitzgerald, you got William Blake, who not many people really understand William Blake, but he is an amazing character. Frederick Douglass, the slave narrative, Thoreau, Dr. Seuss, Virginia Woolf, Hemingway, Emily Dickinson, Melville, Rogers and Hammerstein. So you did one musical and you also have actually Aretha, Shakespeare, John Keats, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So how did you choose them? Because there's so many ways you could have gone. Yeah, you know, I just started, several of those books are ones that I taught forever. So, so I was just kind of bursting with those insights. I, I, they'd been forming inside of me. Some of that I could, I could go there with my students at this prep school, especially because in addition to my regular English classes, I taught an elective course called Literature of Enlightenment. And uh, everybody knew my classroom because it was the one that didn't have rows of desk chairs. It had a circle of comfy couches. That was for for our lab work, which was meditation. Um, So to some degree, I was able to go into that with my students, but I was just full of, you know, Huck Finn Dharma. I was was full of uh, Macbeth Dharma. Now, one, I've got to make a, a confession. I make the confession in the book. Every year I told my students, we didn't read Moby Dick because it's too long. So we would read a a shorter work by Melville, Bartleby the Scrivener. But I would always take a day to talk about Moby Dick and what a fabulous book this is. And you've got to read Moby Dick sometime before you die. And here's the confession. I had never read it. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of it's about whaling. (laughs) Yeah, right. A a A lot of procedural whaling. A lot, lot of a lot of whaling procedure and cutting off the head and right, but so so I figured okay this is my karma now I'm going to have to read this thing and whew, fortunately it turned out it really is as great as I had been claiming that it was and actually also really funny and really weird so I had a great time uh, writing about Melville. Did you have a little bit of a checklist here that, that you had to find a Dharma connection in each one of these authors and their works? Is that, was oh, that, oh, I mean, oh, you had to oh, have oh, a must have, have, right? Yeah, yeah. Now, the thing is, in, in with some of the authors, it's overt. They were consciously opening to the infinite. You read Emily Dickinson, and she she says things like, not knowing when the dawn will come, I open every door. Right. Now, that's not just about opening a physical door to your house and waiting for the physical sunlight to fall. You know when the dawn, when that dawn will come. Right. You're, exactly. Right. We, we know what time the sun rises. She's talking about, and this is almost straight out of the Bible when St. Paul says, the kingdom the day of the Lord comes like the thief in the night. No man knows the day or the time of his coming. So, and this is just what all my best meditation teachers told me. You don't try to meditate. You don't pursue it. You just sit and leave yourself open. One of my teachers, this Lama, I used to study with said, you, you leave all your pores wide open and, and let it come to you. So, People like Emily Dickinson, William Blake, J.D. Salinger, they were conscious 
Dharma dogs, right? They they were they were overt about it, and the, and and they write about the joy of being in that light, and then the agony when you get you know kicked out of the garden once again. You think now I've made it. Now I'm in the Garden of Eden. I've scaled the wall. I'm here forever. And then you know your lease expires. You get thrown out again. One one writer that is probably the least well known in the book, Gerard Manley Hopkins. He was a Catholic priest in 19th century England who just wrote. He had these ecstatic experiences of of union with the infinite, and wrote it down. And it was so ecstatic, and his that he had to invent new forms of poetry to write about it. And it was way too weird for people, so none no one read any of it till after he died. Mm-hmm. Amazing. So, so some are these conscious, conscious spiritual beings, and but most of them, it just kind of comes in through the side door. But because, let's say, Mark Twain, Toni Morrison, uh, Melville, they're such brilliant observers that they can't miss it, and also they can't miss the pain of its absence. When you see Gatsby yearning like that, when you see Ahab chasing after the whale, thinking, once I get this whale, everything will be fine. <laughs> right? And Gatsby, once I get this girl, everything will be fine. It's a very interesting thing. You know, there's two kinds of tragedies. One is when you don't get what you want. <laughs> and you know what the other kind is when you do get what you want. And Gatsby gets the girl. He gets the unattainable girl. and. Um, the first time he's with her, they're standing arm in arm, and now they're looking together across Long Island Sound toward that green light at the end of her dock that for him always represented the unattainable, and and his heart sinks. It says he realized that his count of enchanted objects had diminished by one. Okay, Guys, Guys Radio, my special guest is Dean Slider. We're talking about his upcoming new book, The Dharma Bum's Guide to Western Literature. We're going to get into some meditation also, but you touched on a lot of things. And one was the classic storytelling template, which is what does the main character want and why can't he get it? And going all the way back to Aristotle with intent and conflict and things that get in the way along the way and language also. So tell us how, from your studies, how language and the musicality of language affects a story, and if all of these all-time literary giants use the Aristotle template to write their stories. Right. Um, the Aristotle template is, um, you know, that's a very intuitive thing. The Aristotle was, was, was using deep intuition there. He was just looking around at the, the nature of, of life. This is right. We we get hungry, we pursue the thing, we eat it, then we think everything's fine, and then suddenly we're hungry again. You know, that's that's pretty much that's pretty much the story. It's it's very primal. So whether they've ever read Aristotle or not, yeah, authors um, it, it tend to fall into that picture. But then the really most interesting authors do the most interesting variations on it. Like I have a chapter on waiting for Godot. And that is so overt, waiting for, wait, Godot, hello. Uh, and here's these, these two tramps 
We don't know what country they're in. We don't know what, they can't even keep track of what day it is, but they're waiting for this guy, Gado, this mysterious character to come that's going to make everything better. And every day a little boy comes and says, sorry, can't come today, but he'll definitely come tomorrow. <laughs> and that's how, you know, we're left on the, on, on the hook looking for that fulfillment. But about the musicality of, of language, I'm, I'm glad you asked about that because it's often overlooked. People get into, you know, story is the first thing that grabs our attention. But without the language, the story doesn't ignite for us. Now, an example is. Let me throw Hemingway when, at you for that. Because oh, okay. you, did a, you did a great job writing about Hemingway, where a lot of people think, oh, he's so clear. And it's like, bang, he's very ham fisted. And sometimes if you read Hemingway at first blush, you'll say, wow, he like these, there's really short sentences and there's really long run on sentences. And they don't realize that there's a purpose behind it and there's a musicality to it and there's a cadence to it that supports that. So maybe that'll tee you yeah, off there. Absolutely. <laughs> Hemingway, Hemingway at his best, particularly his, his, his early stuff, but before, before he drank too much. Um, and, and, and in my chapter on Hemingway, I start by talking about haiku because really essentially what Hemingway did was he brought haiku language to American fiction. People often think, oh, haiku, that's where you, you write 17 syllables. That's a total misunderstanding. People try to write haiku in 17 syllables. That works in Japanese, not in English. It's too long. What makes it haiku is that it's direct, it's concrete, it's that the model haiku, the prototypical haiku is from the first master, the first haiku master, Basho. He wrote, I'm going to read this one first in Japanese, furuike ya. Kawazu tobi komu mizu no oto. Now in English, old pond, frog jumps in, plop. <laughs> Love it. Right. it. Right. It's so simple, but now wait a minute. It's an old pond. That means it's mossy. It's overgrown. It's quiet there. This is like an old mind, someone who's mature, just from hanging around for a lot of years or mature in their meditation practice. It's, it's like, it's been that way forever. That's our consciousness, the nature of our consciousness. It's beyond time, but then something comes along, the frog jumps in and then plop the water sound just echoes and echoes and echoes. Now Hemingway brings that to, to fiction. So um, that, that last line, the plop, that's what in Japanese they call the kensho. That's the moment of ah awakening, opening up. So in his opening, he's got this long, long sentence at the beginning of A Farewell to Arms. I won't read the whole thing, but it starts off, in the late summer of that year, we lived in a house in a village that looked across the river and the plain to the mountains, right? You hear how it's just plain Anglo-Saxon. It's as, as if he could get rid of everything except the nouns, he would do that. Exactly. In, in the bed of the river, there were pebbles and boulders, dry and white in the sun. 
and the water was clear and swiftly moving and blue in the channels. And then he describes this file of soldiers marching on, marching through. And the sentence goes on and on because when the troops march, it's like the line goes on and on as they're marching toward death. And at the very end of the paragraph, the trunks of the trees too were dusty and the leaves fell early that year. And we saw the troops marching along the road and the dust rising and leaves stirred by the breeze falling and the soldiers marching and afterward the road bare and white except for the leaves. Beautiful. So beautiful stuff. that, yeah, it's so beautiful. And that road bare and white except for the leaves. That's like the plop in the haiku. There's the mm -hmm. Kensho that emptiness, that openness, that the silence after the, the thing happens. There we, there it is. Let's take one more example in a similar way. Dr. Seuss, mm -hmm. Geisel, I think his name was, or? The cat in the hat. Yeah, yeah Ted Geisel. Ted Geisel. But, and was he was giving, uh, I think his publisher gave him a challenge of, here's 220 words, see if you can write a book with it, something like that. Yeah, this was the the word list that had come from this, this um, educator's committee or something. These are the most basic words that kids learn or should learn first. Um, and, and the presenting problem was, um, I don't think you're old enough. I'm old enough that I, my first couple of years of school were just before the cat in the hat came out. So we were reading Dick and Jane books that were awful. See spot, spot can run, see spot, run, run, spot, run. They were like designed to make you hate reading for the rest of your life. So, so Dr. Seuss's challenge was take these words, these, you know, this list of 220 words, not using anything off the list and make a lively, fun, uh, uh, you know, easy to read book out of it. And it was really, he was actually on the verge of giving up. He couldn't make it work. He wanted to write something about Queen Zebra, but Queen wasn't on, on the list and Zebra wasn't on the list. And finally he said, okay, I'm going to give up. I'll do, I'll do this. The first two words I find on the list that rhyme will be my, in my title. And the first two words he found that rhymed were cat and hat. <laughs> and off um, we go. And, and, off, and off we go. And you know, I mean, this is maybe my form of insanity, but I start reading the cat in the hat and I go, there it is. There's, there's the Dharma teachings. There's one of my favorite things in the book. I take this illustration. It's the key illustration in the cat in the hat. It's when the cat first strides through the door and the two kids, you know, sitting at the window, watching the, the rain, they're, they're looking up startled as he walks through the door. And I, and I set that next to the calling of St. Matthew by Caravaggio which when I was in Rome, I kept going back to the little church where that was. I was just completely mesmerized by this, this brilliant painting. And you look at it and the layout is exactly the same. Over here, here's the, here's the tax collectors, including the future St. Matthew intent. They're, they're bent over counting their money like people hunched over their iPhones, you know, and, and they don't even see, oh, here comes through the door. Here comes in the place of the cat in the hat, it's it's Jesus and St. Peter with this huge tractor beam of, of spiritual light, you know, coming in. And the only one who really gets it is Matthew. He's looking up and he's pointing like, because it says in the, in the gospels, Jesus says, come with me, follow me. And he's going, are you talking to me? Uh, <laughs> so it's like, it's, it, it's everywhere. 
I once found a perfect, concise meditation instruction. This would be a, a good segue to our, our next segment on a, tr- a carton of Tropicana orange juice. It said, and I quote, nothing added, nothing taken away, not from concentrate. <laughs> Just in the void, right? <laughs> there it is. There it is. Don't add, try to, you sit here in this present moment, like Emily Dickinson with all her doors open, to sit here in the present moment, all your pores open. Don't try to add anything to it, right? Don't try to find some special spiritual experience. Don't try to take anything away. Don't try to block out your thoughts or the sounds or anything. And don't try to concentrate. That's it. Fantastic. Okay, the name of the new book coming out in March is The Dharma Bums Guide to Western Literature. My special guest, Dean Slider, on Guys Guys Radio. Now we're going to segue into meditation because Dean is a real expert on meditation. His book, the seminal book, is called Natural Meditation, A Guide to Effortless Meditative Practice. So this, I'm so glad that meditation has really taken off. I've been meditating every morning for about 15 months now at about 6 a.m. I get up, the first thing I do, I don't reach for the phone, I meditate and I use a crystal, I hold it. And I've been doing something where I use a framework, if you will, where I do a, a Fritz Smith's zero balancing. As I do that, I in certain times, I, as I'm in the framework, but then I'll go off. There'll be just, I'll go in the void and I get some information. It's almost like remote viewing. I might be like today, I was in my parents' old house and walking around. And then I came back to it. And I was t- telling my wife about that. And she said, that's not really meditating. Meditating would be if you focus on one thing and then it falls away. And then you have a direct connection with spirit. Talk to me. Well, as usual, we should listen to our wives. <laughs> <laughs> um, see, what, 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 what you were talking about with, okay, here's some remote viewing. Here's some, some cool uh, recollected memories and so forth. Uh, that's all great. You know, that, that can all enrich our lives. There, there's nothing wrong with it. But the meditation in the, in the I would say, the, the deepest sense is for, as you say, it's for opening to the spirit, opening to the infinite. Now, what color is the infinite? Right? Is it yellow? Is it purple? Right? You know the answer. It's none of the above. What size is the infinite? This is a little trickier because some people think, oh, the infinite is great, great big. It's, it's like, it's like quadrillions of light years across and then just a little bit more to, to blow your skull open. Uh, no, it's not big or small. It has nothing to do with size. It's no weight. It's no texture. It's no age. It's no gender. It's no nothing. The best statement I ever heard about the infinite was from my old teacher, Maharishi Mahesh Yogi. One morning in Fuji, Italy, I heard him say, it's just nothing, but there's something very good about it. So the thing is, the infinite or spirit or beingness whatever you want to call it, all these words are inadequate because they say too much. They make it sound like it's something, right? When it's delicious openness, like, you know, like space. Um, It has no qualities. It has no characteristics. If it has any quality, if it's yellow rather than purple, 
if it's soft rather than rough, now it's it's the finite. It's no longer the infinite. So anything else is going to be less. Fine, great. Here's some remote viewing. We can see remotely the far side of Pluto. I mean, that would be very cool. I'd love to see the far side of Pluto, but that is less. And, you know, the older I get, the more aware I become, hmm, this offer is good for a limited time only. You know, this, this human nervous system, this life on Earth, I, I want to use it to, to connect to the infinite. A lot of people are, uh, they struggle, particularly nowadays, they struggle with uh, getting into meditation. And you mentioned this in your book, the whole thing about calming their mind and the mental chatter that goes on. And then some people say, oh, just, you know, taking a walk is a form of meditation. And then I use my framework and it's kind of a form of meditation. Maybe I go off and uh, today it just happened. I was remote viewing. I didn't even realize that I didn't try to do that. It just went there and then I came back to my framework. But really, we want to get to that, that core connection between ourselves, the spirit inside, and spirit. Mm-hmm. What, what can people do? Because to get there, that's kind of the graduate course. Then they have to overcome a lot of these hurdles along the way, these uh, tactical hurdles, these executional aspects. Like, how do, how do you quiet your mind? Do you need a mantra? How do you focus? How do you control your mind so you're not doing the work? but you're just getting everything out of the way and you're getting to that void. Right, right. Okay, so let me let me bring you back to the subtitle of my, as you say, my seminal book. And may I add, my award-winning book. I love exactly. saying that. My award-winning book. Uh, uh, it's a Nautilus to, Book Award. Yes, Nautilus Book Award. Best Body, Mind, Spirit yeah. Book of 2015. Go Team Dean. Um, the... It's a guide to effortless meditative practice. And, you know, I really debated with myself about putting that as the subtitle. So I thought, well, will that make people think that, well, this is just the beginner's thing. This is not the real stuff. The real stuff is when you you work hard. But I had to put it because that is the story. Everything you're asking, how do you focus? How do you clear your mind? The answer is you don't. You don't. Those are, you call them hurdles. Those are self-created hurdles, right? Here, here's the thing. I've got this sentence in, in that book, and I love saying this. It took me years to formulate this. To me, this is like, like the, the E equals MC squared of the whole meditation thing. Any effort to create a non-agitated state of mind is itself a form of agitation. I'm going to say that again. I really <laughs> want people to hear this. Any effort to create a non-agitated state of mind is itself a form of agitation. That's the whole catch-22 of meditation, the way people try to do it. It's like they're looking at the, if you think of, of the mind as an ocean, and they're looking, oh, it's so choppy. There's all these waves. There's all this surf going on. I want calm. I want silence. So I got to take a, take a big paddle or something, wham, 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 flatten out all the waves, right? Whether you call it focusing or calming, whatever. One way or another, you're trying to flatten out the waste. Oh, there's all that noise. They're doing construction on the house there. How can I meditate? And, and so you're trying to block that out. Now, you can't 
do it. It's like playing whack-a-mole. You, you beat one thing down and another thing comes up and all your act of beating is just stirring up the water more. So what we do in natural meditation is realize the waves are fine. They're supposed to be there. An ocean has to have waves. But what we do is rather than push to try to do something to the waves, allow ourselves to be pulled deeper into the water. Let gravity take over. And you only have to sink, you know, one or two yards below the surface. And oh, it's always already silent down here. The nature of our awareness. Now, this is as opposed to mind, mind, where we do all the thinking and the computing, the deciding, the remembering, the planning. Mind is like the surface of awareness, but awareness itself in its essence is completely silent. That's the background silence that's been there every moment of your life, but we, we keep not seeing it because you know our, our attention goes to the shiny object, the, whatever's moving. So in meditation, and, and usually I have people start with some kind of what I call on-ramp, right? So we'll be doing something with the breath. We might be doing something with the mantra, but that's just to initially, you know, we've been running around paying attention to 10,000 things. Then we take one thing and just for, you know, a minute or two or three, and then let it go. You know, on-ramps are really important, but you don't want to spend your life on the on-ramp. That's the other big mistake that a lot of people make. They spend their whole life do, dealing with mantra, dealing with breath. You use that transitionally, get as quickly as you can into the express lane, which is just being. So uh, and, so and, sounds, and it works. So it sounds like if uh, you're in that area and things come up like uh, oh i got to pick up my dry cleaning or whatever that's like a cloud in the sky you just let it pass by and then you get back to that space and, uh, and eventually everything kind of peels yeah. away and not e and you know what not even get back because where are the clouds the clouds are in the sky the sky never goes away right so so we don't do anything about the clouds we don't wait for them to pass we don't you know sometimes you'll hear this this meditation advice, you know, look for the space between the thoughts. I've seen people tie themselves in knots trying to find the space. The thoughts are all happening in the space of awareness. Everything right now, this conversation, your experience of these words is happening in the space of awareness. And that space is silent. So um, we, we just, no cloud can diminish the the boundless silence of the sky no rainbow can improve the boundless silence of the sky so we don't try to get rid of the so-called distracting thoughts we don't try to generate cool spiritual thoughts we just rest in awareness we just rest in that silence and it becomes more and more oh yeah it's right here right here oh. now now if 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 i may i like to invite people because this is like completely free, and it's a service that I love to to share. Uh, I do Zoom sessions. The, I used to do them in my house before COVID, but I do Zoom sessions three times a week that are open to everyone, live sessions where I, I lead the meditation. And then a lot of them, uh, I'll take excerpts or a whole session, and I post them on my YouTube channel so people can, you know, because it, it usually takes some guidance, some being walked through like the 
the training wheels on the bike at least a few times. And then you get, oh, this is simple and you can do it on your own. Okay, Dean Slider, my special guest. Uh, he's author of Zen Commandments, Natural Meditation. The new one is the Dharma Bums Guide to Western Literature. Just a little bit more on meditation because I really want to help people. I want you to help them, Dean, uh, get into it because a lot of people get frustrated and they they can't relax. They get the, the, the monkey chatter going. They're not sure if there's a specific way to meditate. But I, I think let's flip it around and say, I've been doing it for 15 months straight before I did it sporadically, and I'm getting a lot of benefits out of it. Pers right. Personally for me, I feel a lot lighter. I feel a lot yes. more clear and things don't bother me as much. And actually my health is very good. Uh, not that it was bad before, but I feel that my everything's kind of working and easier. Things are easier all over. They're easier. I'm allowing. I'm not saying it's creating manifestation, but I'm learning to allow and, and not want so much. And it's just it has a very calming effect on me in, in, in a good way. Talk to us about what are the benefits you've been doing this for a long, long time that you've seen in yourself and in other people. Right. Well, you've just done a beautiful job of describing the benefits. <laughs> you know, somehow everything, and, and, and it's important to point out that, that this is where we really see it, which is in not so much, oh, I had this experience or that experience in meditation, but that what happens during the other 23 and a half hours of the day. And what happens is things get smoother, things get simpler. Exactly. And, and, and what happened, tell me if you've experienced this one. Maybe you'll have a really busy day. There's a lot to attend to. Maybe there's a lot of like challenges and things that to, you know, occasions that you have to rise to. The end of the day, you're sitting on your bed, you're taking your socks off and you go, God, I kind of feel like I didn't do anything today. Like everything just kind of just kind of happened without me. Right. And 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 it's when it first starts to dawn, it's so subtle and so kind of odd that people think, oh, that's just some funny thing. But that is really like the first glimmering of what in all the ancient texts is described as liberation, as realizing that you are not the doer. You actually are that silence. You are that boundless awareness, the boundless beingness, the Atman, the Brahman, the Tao, which is the silent witness. You're not just one of the characters on the movie screen. You are the, you are the screen, which is a good thing because all those characters, you know, every movie ends ultimately in the same way, which is, and then he died. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it, so, it, it, so yeah, the, and, and this stuff really happens to regular people like you and me. It's interesting because we, we're in a culture and I, I want, what I really want to do is help people and particularly like boomer guys get into it. I talk to my friends. I'm like, you guys should try meditation. And I get just nothing. And it's like, I can tell they're like afraid to do it or they, they don't know how to start or they don't think they have the time. And I, I feel the excuses bubbling up. And mm -hmm. I, how do we how do we get through, hopefully with our listeners and viewers out there, uh, to, to get them to take that first step? I mean, I went from, you know, I'd meditate when I felt like meditating. Now I do it first thing in the morning and it really yeah. makes a difference in the day. And I started with about, you know, 15 minutes and now I just go as long as I can go. It's probably mm -hmm. a half hour, sometimes 45 minutes, but I'm up early and I find myself waking up in the very early morning hours. And it's like, 
get up and meditate. I'm getting this mm-hmm. in- internal thing saying, get up and mm-hmm. meditate. I'm like, I want to go back to sleep. No, get up and meditate. And I do it. Yeah. And it, it makes a huge difference in the day. But how, how can we get the guys out there to like, give it a shot, take that first step? Well, if you can answer that question, Robert, <laughs> I just wish we could help uh, people because it's you, just yeah, so beneficial. Yeah, because we because we know everyone knows meditation is beneficial, but most people think it's beneficial if you can bear down and do it, but it's really hard. So that's the the one thing that we still have to communicate to people. I would say that's the one thing you could communicate to your friends is first you have to find it in your own practice. You know, c- c- come to a couple of my Zoom sessions or go to go to my uh, my YouTube channel where I walk you through and you go, you know, I've done this with so many people who've been meditating and getting benefits the way that you are. But then but there's still some trying, some manipulation. And then they they walk through that with me. And I didn't make this up. This is all what I've gotten from my teachers for the last umpty ump years, right, which is effortlessness. And they go, oh, it's so simple. So that's the thing. If you can know that, have that conviction out of your own practice that, oh, it's so much simpler and easier than you thought. Mm -hmm. And about taking the time, it makes the time. I'm sure you know this because when you meditate, you come out, you're clearer, everything you, you don't make, you know, in one second, you can make a mistake that'll take you an hour to, to deal with the ramifications. You say a wrong thing to a person or yeah, it's interesting because we we're in a culture that you do the, the expectation is particularly for us boomers. It's like you do this, you get that. You do this, you get that, and it doesn't have to be that way. And I think meditation right. is a great uh, igniter, inciter of how to reframe how we uh, our mindfulness instead of just being in a reactive mode or an expectation of this. I do this, I get that, and just be more in the flow and things will happen. You don't have to, it's not that you don't have to work hard, but you don't have to make the hard work be the struggle. It, 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 you you want to be right. passionate about what you do and enjoy it and good things happen from there. And then learning to allow things, the good stuff that's out there that wants to come to you, you have to allow it. And I think our culture, from whatever reason, because of we're so competitive and there's a good thing, there's a lot of good things about that, but also, it's put us into a, a, a framework, a mental framework that really kind of at times works against us. That'll be my last question for you, Dean. What do you think about that? Yeah. And, you know, there's historical reasons for that. You know, we, this, this is a country that was founded by Puritans and they, they subscribed to a, you know, a, a Calvinist religious doctrine, which said that there were certain people called the elect who they were going to go to heaven. There was nothing you could do about it, but you could tell if you were one of the elect, if God was giving you success in your worldly life. So if you were poor, if you were a failure in this world, you got had that the added bonus of you were going to spend eternity in hell. <laughs> that's a, that's so, a good incentive, I, right? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I mean, a terrible, terrible doctrine. So, and and even people who've never heard of Calvinism, we're living in that culture. We're affected by, you know, other people, Europeans, especially, they come from, you know, Italians, the Greeks, they come here, they, they think we're crazy. Um, and, and you know, there's something to it. It's, look, as with everything, 
it's a matter of of balance. But but what I find is that because of the thing that I was talking about before, that through your meditative practice, more and more, you can be active. I mean, I love working. In the middle of writing this last book, I would look up and say to my wife, God, I'm so happy when I'm working. You know, I, all my cylinders are clicking. If you, it's not, I'm not just walking around, you know, just uh, nothing to do, just hang out, see what happens. No, I love being active, being engaged, because more and more, and it's a hard, it's an impossible thing to describe, but more and more, it becomes that being active, being engaged has the same sort of frictionless flow as doing nothing. Well stated, Dean. Perfect place for us to uh, cut off here. Tell us about where we can find you and your book. Let me uh, just repeat the names one more time. The Dharma Bomb's Guide to Western Literature. And also we've got the seminal book on meditation, natural meditation. Dean Slider, where can my listeners find you? Um, They can find me on my website, which is Dean words.com deanwords.com uh they can go to my youtube from from there they can link to my youtube channel uh my books uh the dharma bum the dharma bum's guide to western literature is available for pre-order now on amazon and all the others barnes and noble and so forth uh as are my other books fantastic well great job always great to see you And thank you for your passion for meditation and for Dharmaism and just all the great work you're doing and keep it up. Thanks so much. It's Guy's Guy Radio. All right. Very cool conversation with a cool person, Dean Slider. And again, to me, he is a dean of meditation because he's just been doing it for so long. He's helped so many people. He's a terrific writer also, and he's a really good guy. And again, the book, The Dharma Bum's Guide to the Western Literature, and also his seminal book about meditation called Natural Meditation, A Guide to Effortless Meditative Practices. So what did we learn? I think we learned about meditation. I've been doing it for years on and off, but for the past 18 months, I have meditated every single day. I've not missed a day, and it's made a, a, a dramatic change in my well-being in my life, and it's really helped me a lot because it's kind of calmed me down. I don't take everything quite as seriously, and it's just, I think, it's made me healthier from an emotional standpoint and also from a physical standpoint. And if I, if I find myself that I couldn't do my meditation first thing in the morning and I do it later in the day. I just feel different during the day until I get my meditation done. And I would recommend it to anybody. And a lot of folks, I know you say, a lot of folks say that, oh, I I have trouble quieting my mind or I, I don't have the time to do it. And I would say this, just start simple. Take those first steps, do it for five minutes. Just, you got, you have five minutes that you can do your best to just sit quietly. Focus on your breathing. Maybe you take a walk outside in nature. There's a lot of forms of meditative practice, but when you get to the point where you can sit there very quietly, just focusing on your breathing for about 15 minutes or so, and you're consistent, you'll start to see the difference, and then you'll want to do it every day. So see if you can do it. See if you can hang in there with it. But the, you know, the first step is just get started. And even if it's only a few minutes, don't worry. Don't judge yourself that... 
you couldn't quiet your mind enough. It takes time like anything else that's worth it. It's a practice. And what does a practice require? Practice. So give it a shot. Meditation, I assure you, if you put in the time and the effort, and which should be effortless, by the way, it will help you out. So give it, give it a try and consider it. Meditation. Okay, Guys Guys Radio, we're here every Wednesday evening on KCAA Radio in Southern California, 102.3, 106.5 FM, 10.50 AM and 8 p.m. Pacific Time. On Sunday, the show replays at 6 p.m. Pacific Time. My podcast, Guys Guys Radio, YouTube, and now we're on Rumble. They all uh, air starting every Thursday worldwide. We're everywhere. Uh, every podcast platform you can dream up, wherever you consume, your podcast, your Rumble, your YouTube. If you want to watch the video itself of my interviewing the guest, go to YouTube or Rumble. If you want to listen to the entire show, which includes my opening and closing, then you can get the podcast or KCAA. You can stream it. You can listen live. You, live, you can download it. If you enjoy the content I bring you. If you enjoy the guests I bring you to help you live your best life, do me a favor. I ask you one thing. It's not going to cost you a penny. Subscribe to my YouTube channel. Subscribe to Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to the show because it really makes a difference and it helps me get out there and get more and more guests and really bring you the information to help you. So you can also catch me on my website, robertmanni.com. I've got over 300 blog posts about life, love, the pursuit of happiness, so many different topics, and I, I go deep on all of them. It's all free for now. And I also am offering three free chapters of my novel, The Guy's Guy's Guide to Love, which is really the source material for everything Guy's Guy. It's a rom-com. It's been called The Male Successor to Sex in the City. It's about two dudes in advertising competing for love, sex, power, and money. The main character is a guy by the name of Max Halliday. He's asked to write a column about men for a woman's new publication. He says no, he says no, and then something happens, and he says yes, and the name of the column is The Guy's Guy's Guide to Love. It's got fantastic reviews. You can pick it up, uh, download it, or get the physical copy on Amazon, wherever else you shop for your books. And read the reviews. I think you'll really enjoy it. Guys like it uh, because it's about us. And I think I captured men pretty well, as so I've been told. And women like it because they get a little bit of a peek behind the curtain into the weird, wacky world of modern men and their odd dating habits. So the guy's guy's guy to love. So I'm going to be back here uh, next week. The following week, the following week, we just keep going. I haven't taken a week off on Guys Guys Radio for I don't know how long. It's been well over a year, and we've just got more and more guests lined up. I just did a bunch of interviews. I've got a bunch more coming up, and I think you're really going to enjoy them because I'm really getting very specific and very picky about who I bring on the show because I want to bring guests on the show who could offer something fresh, something new, and can help you live your best life. So Guys Guys Radio, I'm going to see you here next week. In the meantime, I want to thank my guests. I want to thank my wonderful producer, Chris. And I want to thank most of all you, my audience, for hanging in there and growing with me and taking this journey together. So Guys Guys Radio, I'll see you next week. And as I always like to say, Guys Guys, finish first. <laughs>